the podcast for women in film and television. Welcome to the WIFT Austin podcast. I am Chantal James, and today we will be chatting with Holly Herrick. Holly is the head of film and creative media at Austin Film Society. Since joining AFS in 2012, she has helped establish their first ever two-screen art house theater, the AFS Cinema, and the expansion of Austin Film Society's film exhibition and artist service programs. In addition to overseeing the AFS grant, which is an annual production grant for emerging filmmakers, she also works to make connections between Texas filmmakers and the global film community. Previously, she was Director of Programming at the Saratosa Film Festival and Deputy Programs Director at the Hampton International Film Festival. She has also worked on the producing team of several independent feature films. Hello, Holly. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. We're very happy to have you. How did you get started in the film industry? I always say I came to film a little late just because I wasn't a cinephile really until college when I discovered some films through a wonderful feminist art class that was taught in my college. I went to a, a small school called New College of Florida, and it really opened the door for me that film brought together all these other art forms that I was really passionate about and was able to do something very unique that spoke to my sort of literary passion, but also bringing in music and visual art. So I started, you know, thinking about careers in film almost right away after I started studying film. And the thing that was always important to me was the discovery of great film. And this was really before, I mean, it was certainly before Netflix. It was still during the age of the video store. And so that's how you discovered movies as a, as a film lover. And I was particularly interested in non-US films and, and films from countries that usually don't have their films distributed in the US. And so I was passionate about this idea of curating and sharing work and finding avenues to do that in my career. And so I started, um, I, my school was in Sarasota, Florida, which is where there's a wonderful film festival called the Sarasota Film Festival. So I got my first job in film working at the Sarasota Film Festival with the filmmakers that they brought in to present their work. And I sort of built the beginning of my career there. So I, I started there in, I think, 2000, it was the early aughts, I think it was 2003 or 2004. Four, and then sort of moved through the organization to be programming coordinator, which was what I really wanted to be doing. And I worked for an incredible programmer named Tom Hall, who's now the director of the Montclair Film Festival in New Jersey. It's a wonderful film festival right outside of New York. But we worked together for about seven years and eventually became director of programming at that festival. And it really just I was following the things that interested me the most about filmmaking, which is the fact that film as an art form can create so much meaning and that there are many ways that the community can interact with film, both from the perspective of teaching filmmaking for visual literacy, but also sharing great films that are meaningful in people's lives, whether because they're so culturally specific or because they're bringing a window on the world that you wouldn't have otherwise. So I programmed for a number of film festivals around the U.S. I spent most of my time at Sarasota and the Hamptons. And then the job at Austin Film Society came up. And it was connecting a lot of those passions for sort of community and film and the way that film intersects with community. But also there was an aspect of artist development and I'm really passionate about working with artists, specifically directors and writer directors, and the job really combined elements of, of both those things. And so it was a 
sure about for me. And also I was just a big fan of Austin Film Society and had mainly come into contact with AFS programs through filmmakers that I met at film festivals, because a number of them would travel to film festivals using the AFS travel grant, which is still a program that we run today. If you get into any major festival that has a significant industry or press opportunity where you can network with other filmmakers in the industry, we provide small grants, usually about 500 or $1,000 for you to travel there. And even if the festival covers travel, these funds can be really critical. We've had a number of filmmakers over the years who get their films into Cannes and the expenses are just so astronomical that it sort of makes the difference between being able to go and actually being able to stay enough days to utilize that time and, and really build those relationships. So that's a program I'm especially fond of because it was in a way how I was introduced to AFS beyond sort of the story that I think a lot of people are familiar with that Richard Linklater founded the Film Society in 1985 and all the programs grew from there. But personally, I interacted with it because filmmakers were traveling to festivals on these travel grants. And so when the job came up at AFS, I was you know really excited to, to see if I could be a part of it. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it just like connects all your passions and your skill set so well. It's such a wonderful place to be. Um, and also being in Austin, which has this incredible film community. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've you know, loved being at AFS because yeah, really what we do is we think about the ways in which our programs can influence and help grow and support this broader ecosystem for film that exists beyond AFS. You know, We're one part of the ecosystem, but I think we can uniquely do because we touch so many aspects of the community and the film industry in Austin, we can develop programs that think about how to support that ecosystem holistically. Super cool. What exactly does head of film and creative media mean? That's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for asking that. My role is I'm responsible for all of our artistic programs at AFS. We do have an artistic director. His name is Richard Linklater, and he really sets the vision for the artistic programs. And then as the staff member, I'm responsible for implementing that vision. So I oversee programs, which means the AFS cinema, our artist development programs, which stretch to community media and youth media, and anything that's an artistic, a really public artistic program. Program like the Texas Film Awards. I don't oversee the studio facility, but the work that I do with filmmakers sort of overlaps with that mission. So AFS has a lot of filmmaker support programs. Can you tell us a little bit about these and how filmmakers can get involved? So the way that we approach programs for filmmakers at AFS is by having access points no matter where you are. And this developed because we were able to, in 2015, start working with the city of Austin to develop Austin Public, which is the public access station for the city of Austin, but it's also a community media center. So whether you are sort of just beginning and want to get your hands on a camera all the way to making and producing art professionally, there's a way for you to interact with AFS. Something that I think is like an open secret, but really we want everybody to know about this is that we have the most incredible equipment available through Austin Public. We have, you know, a full range of Sony cameras, cinema cameras, as well as red cameras, lighting and grip equipment. And it's all available to the public for use if you go through our producer program and certify on the equipment. And once you're certified on the equipment, essentially it means you can check it out whenever you want to use it. And so it's an incredible tool, no matter where you are as a filmmaker, whether you're just starting out and trying to learn the skills or whether you're trying to make a short or you're trying to pick up scenes for 
a test shoot or whatever it is, this is an amazing resource. We also have editing where we have an Adobe suite at Austin Public. It's currently closed because of the pandemic, but we're fingers crossed we'll be able to open the facility soon. But producers can still check out equipment. So that's another great reason to become certified so you can check out equipment. And then from the artist development side, our programs are really about funding and resources. So we have the AFS grant program, which is a two-cycle annual grant, one for shorts and one for features. This past year, because of the pandemic, we started a development grant as part of the features grant. So that is intended really for mid-career filmmakers. So essentially people who are making a second feature or have made or have like a significant body of work with shorts who are making a first feature. And that's been also a great addition to um, the slate of offerings because it means that we touch different backgrounds and experiences with the grant. And the grant has really been an amazing resource. I get, I love to tell just a few stories about sort of what it means and how you can use it. You know, it's not very much money, but it's sort of that critical first money in or last money in that makes such a huge difference for actually getting to make your film. You know, you might know the Dallas filmmaker, David Lowry. He um, directed Peach Dragon and A Ghost Story and has this incredible career with Sailor Bear that their production company also produced Miss Juneteenth, which was one of our grant recipients, which was at Sundance and now is nominated for a bunch of independent spirit awards. So a lot of success stories through Sailor Bear. David Lowry got his start because he was making shorts and then applied for a grant from AFS to make his first feature and received $7,000. And that $7,000 was like, I now have to make this film. And he made St. Nick. And that was sort of the beginning of the thing that led to the next film that led to the, you know, so it wasn't like that his career just popped after he made St. Nick, but it was a critical career leap that kind of set him on his journey to making his next short, which was at Sundance. St. Nick, I think was at South by and some others. Um, and so it was just this, you know, you just keep building, you keep making those steps forward and the AFS grant can be really critical. And another example for sort of finishing is Yen Tan, um, who's wonderful film, 1985 came out a few years ago. He's Austin-based. He shot this movie in 16 millimeter. It's a brilliant film set in 1985 about a young closeted gay man who comes home to his family in Texas. He's out in New York. He has AIDS. He's not out in Texas. And he's basically coming to say goodbye without telling his family that. And the film is shot in 16 millimeter, this beautiful performance. And they basically were at a point where they lost some of their money to finish and we're just going to be at a standstill for who knows how long it took to raise the money. He received the AFS grant and was able to complete it for the cycle of festivals that year. It played at some wonderful film festivals and made year-end lists and sort of the rest is history and got into his next step, which was agents and managers and et cetera. So it's really that we think about it in terms of career leaps and how this small amount of money can actually facilitate that next step. So that's the AFS grant. And then we do offer fiscal sponsorship, which is primarily for documentaries that need to funnel donations through a nonprofit. It's a common thing in the documentary world because you fundraise primarily through grants and foundations. If you're making something that's particularly educational, those are really good funding opportunities. And then usually you need a nonprofit sponsor to help you with those applications and to process those funds. And so AFS offers that for future filmmakers. Also a program that we really love that is a great way to interact with the community. And we really look forward to being able to do this 
when we get to a point in the pandemic where we can all gather is our works in progress program. And what that is, is the ability to show a rough cut of your feature length film. We also have this program for shorts. It's a little bit different, but mainly for features. And so you can present your film for an audience of peers. So other filmmakers. And so we reach out to everybody who's a make member at AFS to attend. And it's a conversation plus feedback, plus we match you with a sort of peer mentor to guide you through the process. And it can be really valuable for those last story edits to finish your film. And it's also something else we tell folks about works in progress is if you first move to Austin and you're just trying to get involved in the film scene, that is a key way to meet other filmmakers because it's always, you know, in, as we all know, in filmmaking, it's so collaborative. It's all about lending a hand, offering to help somebody And in turn, somebody comes back and offers to help you. And Works in Progress is a really great way you can start that process of developing contacts who you will support them as they make their work and they'll support you. So we really urge people to to get involved with that program. How are you able to get involved with Works in Progress? Anyone who becomes a MAKE member of AFS can Mm -hmm. attend. So we, we, every time we schedule one, we reach out to the make community. Um, and essentially that's how you are self-identifying as a filmmaker for us. And we'll reach out to you and let you know that you can attend, that we have these on the calendar. Basically works in progress are scheduled whenever we are interacting with a filmmaker who has a film at that point. So it can be irregular, but there tend to be a lot of events scheduled around festival submission season. So fall and spring, I think people are also aware of the workshops and partnered programs that we offer frequently. The most recent example of that was our partnership with the Sundance Film Festival, where we hosted the Sundance Film Festival in Austin during COVID. We frequently partner with other film organizations around the country who are trying to reach Austin filmmakers. Sometimes it's just through communications where if somebody has a deadline, like Gotham, formerly IFP, will let the community know there's a documentary deadline coming up, submit your work. And sometimes it's something more intense, like like Sundance, where we hosted the festival and we were able to curate a series of panels. They were all in Zoom this time, but that featured Texas talent and were all about kind of getting galvanizing the Texas film community during this period. We usually have an event during South by um, past other partnered events, for example, are with the International Documentary Association. We've produced masterclasses with them. We've facilitated filmmakers going to Getting Real, and we've produced The Good Pitch along with the Doc Society in Austin and also with Dallas. So we sort of are a hub for other organizations or programs that want to come in and meet and network with Austin filmmakers and have opportunities for filmmakers locally. So we do work hard on those relationships because we think that those are kind of the key ways that we can help Texas filmmakers to continue to build their network without having to leave Texas. Austin Studios is a production facility in central Austin, and it it was um, founded right around 2000, between 2000 and 2001, because it was after the city had decommissioned the old Robert Mueller Airport, and they were looking for a way to um, inexpensively turn that area into an economic development opportunity without having to kind of redevelop the whole site, which is incredibly expensive. And so the film industry was like, we went in because at that time there weren't really any 
production stages in Austin. It was very limited space for film production. And of course, at that era, it was the era not so much of like prestige television, but more of um, big budget movies. So it was it was hard to lure those productions to Austin because there weren't the facilities to host them. And so the film community was like, how can we do this? And AFS kind of got together the board and Rebecca Campbell, who's still our CEO, was the executive director at the time, figured that if AFS ran the studio, it could be run as a nonprofit and it wouldn't be subject to the same sort of whims as other sort of for-profit or city-run programs in other states. You know, we've heard about these not working so well, these stages that were essentially on city property, but they were run by for-profit corporations. And, and anytime incentives would dip, like in Michigan, for example, those stages didn't work out. So being run as a nonprofit and the goal being just to keep up the studio so that we could bring production into Austin and help create jobs for the industry. It's been a real success story because not only has the production facility brought a lot of production to Austin and maintained it and also been a resource for filmmakers who are based in Texas, who have the need for studio space as a almost selling point to their investors or studios to be able to make the film in Texas. It's also been a proof of concept for other stages that have popped up around town and has been added an element to the ecosystem, which I think has made Austin and Texas more sustainable for homegrown artists. The fact that there's an industry here and anybody sort of, if you're putting together an indie production, you have a crew base that you can draw from because those crew are working throughout the year. Another example is just sort of, if you are an indie maker, you can work also as a crew person, if that's your day job, you know, so there's, there's just a lot of opportunity there um, that's created through jobs, but also through just creating a bigger and more sustained economy for film in Texas, which kind of lifts up the culture and the artist and independent piece, um, as well as just being a resource for those. So we host the company's um, MPS camera and lighting our tenants. Um, Beth Sepko um, casting is a tenant. Um, Vicky Boone casting is a tenant. There are independent filmmakers who have offices there as well, because we do have some small office space. So it's been a wonderful resource for the film community. And it's kind of a critical part of who we are because we can we can have that open door to the industry who comes in to use the studio while we're working with independent filmmakers to try to create opportunities for them. And then I also wanted to mention the AFS Cinema as a hub for the filmmaking community. So for when it reopens, I think, you know, we, we think about the cinema as an exhibition space, but also as a gathering place for the film community and a place for fil Texas-based filmmakers to show their work, but also a place for Texas filmmakers to meet each other. Our programming attempts to reflect that reality. So what we want to do is be programming films for the Austin community, but also specifically for the filmmaking community, films that we think are of interest to filmmakers and cinephiles and bring that specific community together at the cinema. Uh, so we look forward to being open again so that can happen and we can all meet each other there. Yeah, and it's a cool cinema. It's got a great little bar and it's a cool little hang space. So we look forward to coming back. What kind of projects does the AFS grant fund? What exactly are you looking for, like story-wise or like emerging talent-wise? The AFS grant funds films of any style or genre, and we are focused on filmmakers who are traditionally underrepresented in filmmaking in Texas. And I think that's really important because this is a way that filmmakers can facilitate getting their start. And there are so many stories and so many communities in Texas that 
just aren't represented in the media scene. And the other big factor that we're looking at is the ability to make a career leap with this opportunity. So we're looking at kind of where you are, why this film or this project will facilitate your next steps. And when we talk about career leap, it doesn't mean that this is going to get into Sundance and you're going to get an agent and a manager. It's really what is a career leap for this individual filmmaker. You know, perhaps you're an animator and this is your second short film and you really are building and developing your voice. And it's clear from your application and your samples that having the opportunity to practice and develop a second short film is inevitably going to lead to you taking a big leap in your ability to to self-express or to define your voice. Uh, I think a great example of that is, is the filmmaker Kat Candler. I think she received 13 AFS grants over her time developing her career. And it was all about, here's an artist who knows how to practice. She's really developing her voice. She's taking risks. She has her vision and she needs the opportunity and the, you know, with film, always the money to be able to refine, refine, refine. And that was a great success story because over the years she did. And I think she talks about that, that those short films were key to understanding who she was as a filmmaker and what she wanted to say. And so when we talk about career leaps, we think about those types of examples, you know, of people who definitely have something to say and need the opportunity to practice or folks who maybe they're making their first feature and this is the real opportunity for them to get started on the next steps as a filmmaker, whether that be, you know, bigger projects, bigger budgets. So it's all, it's a range of things, but we do think about that. It's just the, the idea of, of a career leap and will this be a career leap for the filmmaker? But in terms of style and genre, we're looking for filmmakers. We're looking for people who maybe they can't necessarily write a grant well, although trying to be professional in your grant writing never hurts. You know, we really, it's, it's like <laughs> when you can tell that somebody put a lot of effort into their application, that always helps. Um, but at the same time, we're really looking the samples are everything you know being able to tell a story cinematically and really trusting cinema as a medium you know we always we talk a lot in the deliberations and we don't decide on the recipients we we curate a panel of a, a jury from outside of Texas because that always brings a diversity to the selection each year and different filmmakers are selected each year and I think that's really important because a lot of times the same filmmakers apply over and over and we encourage that and we let them know there are different people making decisions. And so it's going to be a different three people. Our first round committee changes as well, but the panel is a different group every year. So the first round committee is made up of Texas industry professionals. We do retain some of the same people, but it's a three-step process. So your application is looked at by a minimum of three people throughout. And sometimes it's more like five or six. So yeah, the, the thing that we say to everybody is if you don't receive it, we actually are only able to fund 10% of applicants each year. So if you apply for the AFS grant, the chances are you will not get it because we have to say no to 90% of the applicants. Like the applications are so strong every year. It's a bit heartbreaking at the last round. And so we try to let everybody know that it's it's not necessarily the quality of your application. It becomes a curatorial process at the very end because we can only meaningfully fund a handful of projects. It's really honing down to these decision-making factors, plus what the panel feels really passionate about that particular year. And it will be different panelists next year. So definitely try again. And we try to make the application something that is, if not the application itself usable for something else, all the material that you submit to us should be the same material that you're going to need to build the project. And so we like to think about the application process as also a step 
in the life of that project. So if you're really just starting out, getting the project together, having these materials will only help you because you haven't, you might not have had to put together like the resources versus expenditures yet. Like that we do this budget cover sheet where you have to kind of weigh in how, where are all the resources going to come from. And it's a really wonderful exercise for any project to go through. So it's worth it. Even if you're like, even if I don't get this grant doing this application, it like makes the project real. It's like picking your start date for a film and suddenly it's real and you're going to do it. And applying to the grant is part of that. It definitely does. I've been through the experience with many grants and it definitely makes you go, okay, we're going to, we're going to make a movie now. Like this is happening and, and you know, all the information about your project and it does, it makes it real. Yeah. And I do think that we've also heard that from filmmakers who never got funding that, well, at least we had to apply for the grant and then we got money from somebody else because we'd gone through the process. We had the materials. So it's, it's always going to help. It never hurts. And hopefully you'll get one. And, um, and also I think it helps us to know who's making films in the community because we do reach out, like, let's say we have a partnered program or a partner comes to us and says, we were looking for X, Y, Z. We oftentimes are saying, oh, we looked at a grant application that was about that. Or we know that there's a filmmaker working on that. So it, it really helps us to do our job of, of thinking about connections and other opportunities for applicants. So even if you don't get a grant, it's still like, we love knowing who you are. Um, that helps us as a staff to think of you for other opportunities that may come our way through partnerships, et cetera. So being at um, AFS for almost nine years now, you must have seen the film industry in Austin change a lot. What are you excited about for the future of the industry in Austin? I'm excited about the fact that we have a really diversified film economy here, or it's starting to be more that way. And I think that that makes us really unique in terms of the non-incentive cities. So we're, you know, we're never going to be New Mexico or Georgia, but we have a ton of talent here. We have big productions here. We have publicity and some distribution here. You know, companies like Rooster Teeth and Neon have connections to Austin. We have a theater chain based in Austin with Alamo. We have nonprofits like AFS and we have industry development programs and industry networking programs and organizations like WIFT, as well as a ton of film education opportunities, whether it be through the universities traditionally or nonprofits. And then just the, the festival environment itself is so rich, both with the you know big annual events, as well as some of the smaller festivals, which are world-class like Austin Asian and, and Cine Las Americas. So we have culture, artists and industry. And that is what makes Austin unique. And I think we continue to grow in that way. And I think the more that we can continue to facilitate the growth of each of those poles, industry, film culture, and having artists and other above the line talent based in Austin, it will benefit the community generally, and not just the film community, but Austin at large. I think having the city be a hub for arts and culture is a wonderful future. And I think if we can really have that vision be tied to Austin's equity goals, I think we can do really great things. Definitely. AFS Cinema must have had a hard time during the pandemic. What do you think the future of cinema looks like in general? What do you think about that? I'm curious. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It scares me. Like, are we going to go back to, to being able to sit in a cinema together anytime mm -hmm. soon? Is it going to be years? Or are we always going to do online 
programming? Yeah. I mean, the online programming has been such an interesting development. And I think, you know, just like how the science itself and technology have just taken leaps and bounds during COVID, I feel kind of the same way about the way that we've all had to adapt. Like it's created all these new avenues for us. And yet we know that the film industry is a lot about relationships and building relationships and building community. And film culture is all about community. And I think we've all felt that as great as this is, and I'm so happy to be here today with you, the Zoom is no replacement for the in-person and the cinema going itself. You know, I think that the feeling of being in a dark movie theater with other people is transportative. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not just the dark movie theater, it's the people. And I think there's even like studies about how the chemicals in your brain are different watching a movie with other people versus by yourself on your couch. And the other thing that I think about a lot, like the cinema is currently closed for COVID. We will reopen hopefully this summer. When you're at home and you're around tons of distractions and you're watching a movie, it's a totally different experience. But also when people choose to go to the movie theater, it's about choosing to be out versus choosing to be at home. I've always said that like, we're never actually competing with the couch. So people are like, but all this content is available. All these films are available. I don't think that's our effort. I think our effort is having such great programming for our community that you can't ignore it. And also it is the option that you think of when you think about, I wanna leave my house. I wanna engage with the community. I wanna do something that I care about and I love that you think about going to the cinema. And that is film culture for you as somebody who loves film. And so I think that that hasn't gone away and won't go away. Of course, I'm so curious about how our business is going to change just because people are so accustomed and, and certainly the big um, streamers have really adapted and, and just expanded their market share. But I don't think that is what we're competing with. And I think that it is about creating something that's really relevant to the community and for the people who care about what we do. Absolutely. I can't wait to sit in a cinema again. <laughs> Me too. I'm really looking forward to it. And just like being there during a, a night where it's a full house or we're presenting somebody's new film or, you know, where we have an Austin premiere, those are just such fun times. And yeah, I can't wait to get back to that. And we will, we'll be there. To I get know to this year, is, it's been all about patience. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you are married to writer-director Michael Tully. I imagine your work schedules are both pretty crazy. How do you manage to balance work, home life? We have a two-and-a-half-year-old or almost two-and-a-half-year-old, um, and that was always a big question, you know, being in the film industry or or. Michael being like, I mean, this was, these were the conversations we had before we decided to have a family, you know, what happens if I suddenly have project moves forward and then I'm gone for four months or five months or, and we were just like, we're just going to figure it out, you know? And I think that's just how it goes. I don't, I don't know if you are a parent too, but it's just sort of like, your life just changes and you just sort of adjust. You know, we've been in the pandemic, I guess, for a year and I've only been a a mother for two and a half years. So a year of it has been during this time. And of course we haven't had as many events, even though we've had virtual events, they haven't been sort of timed. So um, that is the thing that's challenging for me in particular, because I'm often at the cinema in the evenings. Um, Films usually start at toddler bedtime. (laughs) So (laughs) I work for an organization that, really values the people who work there and understands sort of the flexibility that employees need all employees, even if you don't have a family, I think everybody has, has different needs. And so we've been able to be fairly flexible with how people balance home and work lives and really worked through issues with people directly. And I feel that way um, that I've, you know, managed to, to carve out what works for me, but it's different for everybody. I think I love 
well, I love my husband, but I also love that we share film. Um, I think that's a really wonderful thing. But I also know filmmakers or those in the industry who are like, I'm so glad my spouse is not in the industry. Right. <laughs> for, us, it, for us, it works out well. I mean, I think we both are, are really passionate about films, about books. We share a lot of the same interests on that front and we love to discover new things together. He helps me discover things and vice versa. So it's a big part of our relationship. So yeah, that's kind of who we are. But certainly it's it's always hard when you become a film widow because somebody's on set for a few months every year. But also <laughs> with the challenge of getting a film together that only happens every every few years or so. Yes, so. that's true. <laughs> yeah. That is very true. If a movie was made about your life, who would play you in that movie? I have literally never thought about this, so I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> I know it's a hard one. I feel like if someone asked me that question, I don't think I would know either. Yeah, I'm mostly just on the phone all day, sitting at my desk. And so, no, I don't, my life is not, is the opposite of cinematic, I would say. <laughs> if you want your life to be cinematic, don't go into the into film. <laughs> Filmmakers have, you know, a lot of, you know, you get to travel, you get to see the world, you get to hone in on culture and ideas. But as a, as a sort of nonprofit administrator, not so much. <laughs> How can our listeners follow your career? Are you on social media? I am on social media. I'm not a real leader on social media, but I'm at Holly G. Herrick on Twitter. And usually I'll tweet about like, if there's something going on at AFS, I'm usually letting folks know about that. And then also just generally tweeting, tweeting my fury at Ted Cruz and other Texas Republican (laughs) politicians. So if you're not on board for that, maybe don't follow me on Twitter. Um, Other than that, it's mostly a film account and um, what's going on at AFS. All right. Thanks for your time today, Holly. And that is it from us today. Thank you for listening to the WIFT Austin podcast. I am Chantal James. We look forward to seeing you next time. Movie reviews. Hey, y'all. So today I want to talk about the movie The High Note. The High Note is about music artist Grace Davis, played by Tracy Ellis Ross, and her overworked assistant Maggie Sherwood, played by Dakota Johnson, wanting to go into the next steps of their careers. The movie also stars Ice Cube and Kelvin Harrison Jr. Directed by Nisha Ganacha, who is also known for shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Dear White People, and Shameless. The film is written by Flora Greeson, composed by Amy Doherty, who also composed the movie The Happiest Season, which you can find on Hulu, and edited by Wendy Green Brickmont. The film did come out on On Demand, but is now recently on Hulu. This movie is the biggest breath of fresh air, and I'm going to tell you why. It has such an incredible cast, all thanks to Nicole Hallman and Jean McCarthy. I say that because some of the actors in this film know what it's like to either work in the music industry or have someone close to them that does. You have Ice Cube with his long list of hit songs. Tracy Ellis Ross with her iconic mother and also using her own voice in the film and Kelvin Harrison Jr. who as well does his own singing. I don't know about y'all, but I really like finding new songs to listen to because you know, the same old, same old can get pretty boring. And I've actually been listening to this album on repeat. It is so good. Highly recommend you give it a listen. The music department did such a great job making the whole soundtrack go from fun to soulful and every song gave me chill bumps and made me want to give every female music artist a big hug. 
as well as the rest of this cast. It is, I have nothing but great things to say about this movie. Now to the costumes. All the costumes were done by Jenny Egan and many other talented people. And man, are they glamorous. Dakota Johnson's style in the movie is more so what I personally wear, but oh my God, Tracy Ellis Ross kills it in every single outfit in every single scene. They're all so glittery and fancy and jumpsuits and just everything you could ever want in a music artist in this film. This was such a touching film because it shows the audience what unfortunately happens to a lot of music artists later in their career. The main focus of the film though is that music is what really truly matters. The film does end in a high note if you will, with the biggest twist. And of course, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it is one of those twists that makes you jump out of your seat and it's a complete WTF moment. But it's obviously in the best way. I have, like I said before, nothing but amazing things to say about this movie. And you can find it on Hulu. I really hope that you guys enjoy it and you have a great rest of your day. Member Spotlight. This episode's WIFT Member Spotlight is Elizabeth V. Newman, the co-president of WIFT Austin and a director for theater and film. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective from being a co-president, what drew you to WIFT, how you got involved, and, and really what you see the future of WIFT in Austin to be. It is so exciting to see how we have really grown with our inaugural board have grown uh, our chapter of, of WIFT here in Austin. I met Alicia actually at the Austin Film Festival. Alicia Estes is my co-president and we have spent the time this past couple years building an incredible board of women. And I feel like we've really sort of tapped into a community and are excited about building community here in Austin and also reaching out broadly from Austin to our female filmmakers across the country. I love how our vision of connecting, supporting and empowering each other has really manifest itself in different aspects of the different departments of our board. We have events, we have programming, we have community outreach and community partnerships. And we have our amazing marketing department that not only celebrates our own membership, but looks back to the history of women working in film throughout the ages and spotlighting the work of our contemporary female filmmakers. So I, I feel like even in this past year of pandemic, we have really been able to kind of pull together community and to support and empower each other and uh, along with educational and, and specific knowledge and giving our fellow female filmmakers the tools that we need to further their careers both professional and camaraderie and emotional mm -hmm. support and I think that that you know in the coming years we plan to do more of it it'll be it'll be great when we can go back to do more events and programs in person. It's been cool in, in this virtual space to be able to knock down geographic barriers mm -hmm. um, and kind of we're all exist in this liminal virtual space. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but going forward, I think kind of building on this great bedrock that we've created over the past couple of years. I'm from New York originally, and I lived in Los Angeles for a few years and in Canada. And at each stop, I was a member of, you know, more involved or less involved in women in film chapter uh, mm. in those, in, in both in LA and in Toronto, especially. And it's been neat to sort of see how different chapters function and then to bring mm. that knowledge and experience to help build this art. Cause I feel like in, in Austin, we have a really wonderful artistic community in mm -hmm. film. I also, I'm a artistic director of a theater company here in Austin called the Filigree Theater. Um, and there's a really wonderful sort of overlap between filmmakers and uh, theater makers here in Austin. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's really wonderful to sort of celebrate those points of contact and then mm -hmm. celebrate the unique differences of the different media. I'm a director and so I've worked in both theater and film and for me artistically it's it's really exciting to sort of transpose those skills of you know, theater block blocking skills when mm. I'm blocking a scene for film and then using film being such a visual media to apply some of the, the idea of like world building to the stage mm -hmm. and when I direct for theater a lot of times we have intentionally have very small houses it's sort of like there's chamber music so it's like having chamber theater mm -hmm. um, and uh having that that presence having that live in-person presence which mm -hmm. you know <laughs> right now that's on that's been on hiatus um yeah. you know and I laud and celebrate a lot of my fellow theater makers here in Austin who've done all sorts of interesting things of epistolary plays and drive-in mm -hmm. plays um and zoom performances that's fantastic. And I, I love their creativity. I do look forward to going back to in-person performances. However, that looks in the coming months and mm -hmm. picking up our season where we went on to hiatus. We're like bears. Mm -hmm. We're in been hibernation for, yes. <laughs> <laughs> for some time. But coming back full force for sure. So yeah. what are you working on now? So with Filigree, each season is a three show season. The fall show is a part of the, it's a past, present, and future. So the fall show is part of the theater canon. The winter show are playwrights living and working today. And the spring show is new works and world premieres. So mm. this past season was interrupted between our winter show and our spring show. So our spring show will be Lifted by the world premiere of a play called Lifted by Charlie Thurston. Um, each season is connected by an overarching theme. So this interrupted season, season three, it was interestingly enough, it was called fear and fearlessness is the theme that we've been working with. How uh, fitting. <laughs> yes, we did Fefu and her friends uh, for the fall show. Uh, we did Turn of the Screw for the winter show. And then lockdown fell right between the mm. winter and spring show. So we look forward to finally being able to present Lifted and then also to take our winter show, turn the screw to New York. Um, we're looking at 2022 for that. And in terms of in terms of film, there's a feature film that I directed called Child of Light that Trish Steele, who is one of our board members, uh, is one of the stars of. That is now in the hands of the producers. It is out of my hands now. Um, <laughs> but it'll be interesting to see where that goes. And meanwhile, I've been taking some time to write and figure out what the next next film project is. Mm, awesome. How can people find your work and kind of follow what you're up to get in touch with you? 
So for Filigree, for the theater company, they can go to the website, Filigree Theater, F-I-L-I-G-R-E-E, theater, spelled with an R-E at the end, mm -hmm. uh, .com, or my own personal website, elizabethvnewman.com, or on Facebook or Instagram or all those good things. Cool. Very course, findable. The Wift Austin. <laughs> the yes. <Wift> Austin. <laughs> yes, the Wift Austin website also has um, all of our bios. So if you're interested in taking a look, uh, you can take a look there too. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us today, Elizabeth. Becoming a member of Wift Austin gives you access to a wide network of people like Elizabeth, discounts on events and services, and plenty of chances to advocate for female identifying folks in the industry. If you're interested in learning more about how to become a member, visit wiftaustin.com slash memberships. Entertainment news. This is Kelly Coffey bringing you some entertainment news. Chloe Zhao wins again. The BAFTA Awards, which are selected by members of the British Academy of Film and Television and Arts, were just presented and the drama Nomad Land led for four wins, including Best Film and Best Director for Zhao. Several other BAFTA winners were also women, including Emerald Fennell's Promising Young Woman for Best Screenplay, Lucy Pardee for Best Casting, Frances McDormand for Best Actress, and Anne Roth won for Best Costume Design for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. At the global box office, it seems like people are ready to get back to the movies. Godzilla vs. Kong surpassed $390 million at the global box office to become the top-grossing Hollywood movie of the pandemic. The record of $365 million was previously held last fall by fellow Warner Brothers film release Tenet. Overseas, Godzilla vs. Kong took in $12.2 million for a foreign total of $309.7 million and $390.2 million worldwide. And finally, the Stars Network and the Alliance of Women Directors have launched the Take the Lead Directors program with the purpose to hire emerging episodic directors for their first television directing assignment. The network and the organization are also collaborating on Transparency Talks conversations that will focus on access and opportunity for women and by and indigenous people of color directors. The chats will feature guests from the ACLU of Southern California, the Producers Guild of America, Writers Guild of America, California Film Commission, and the Latinx House. And that's it for entertainment news. Until next time. This episode of the Wift Austin podcast was produced by Kelly Coffey and Chantel James. Our editors are Shannon Steffen and Valerie Torres. Summer Hart is our movie review critic. You can find us on the web at wiftaustin.com and on social media at Wift Austin. Thanks for listening, everybody.